0: You are listening to John D. Yard's Life Spa, your premier source for health news and Ayurveda, where modern science meets ancient wisdom. Okay, tonight's topic is how to kick acid, how to bring heartburn back into balance. You know, one of the things about heartburn, you probably don't know this, but 60% of Americans experience at least one bout of heartburn per year. So that's a lot of people having some type of heartburn-related issue. (coughs) Excuse me. And more and more, every time I, 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 I live on PubMed and searching journals, and as you know, I see, keep seeing more and more articles and studies on the risk and the side effects of PPIs, or protein pump inhibitors, which are medications for heartburn. Um, so there are two types of heartburn medications. I want to deal with the medication thing right away. There's protein pump inhibitors and H2 blockers. And the research is showing that the protein pump inhibitors like things like Prilosec and Prevacid and Nexium, those three, which are super common, either as a prescription or over-the-counter, have some serious side effects. And you might want to ask your doctor, if you're on one of those, to switch over to an H2 blocker, which would be something like Zantac, Tagamet, or Pepcid. So those are way better in the world of side effects. The, the studies on the PPIs show that there's significantly less Microbes in the gut after taking the PPIs uh, compared to the H2 blockers, which is important, obviously. That was a big study done with over 1,800 people. Um, There's also significant um, risks for kidney issues related to PPIs versus H2 blockers, and more and more science is showing that there are other significant risks involved. And when you destroy, and just in general, right, when you destroy or take a blocker of the acid, and the acids are supposed to kill the bad bugs, right? And break down the hard-to-digest proteins, and create an environment of acidity that these stomach microbes really, really love. <clears throat> then, you know, we block all that, then, you know, something, bad things can happen, is my point. And I think that's the, the key to this to this understanding, is that, um, yes, if you need a medication, it's very important. And uh, to get the acid, the excess acid out of your stomach, because the acid in your stomach can cause serious issues like ulcers. If it goes up, we'll talk about why that happens in a minute. Um, it's called Udvarta. If the stomach regurgitates or refluxes up into the esophagus, it can damage the cells in the esophagus, and that can be a serious condition as well. So it's not like You should just avoid your heartburn. You definitely want to see your doctor. Make sure that that acid is not there and get it mitigated. But once you have the problem solved symptomatically, choose an H2 blocker for your PPI. Once you have it blocked, then let's dig into the cause. If the problems are just beginning and they're not that bad and they're once in a while, let's dig into the cause right now. Okay, but please make sure you're not living in harm's way. You know, one of the golden rules about taking care of ourselves and taking responsibility for our own health, you know, in life, is don't sweep stuff under the rug. And we tend to do that, right? Ah, oh, this will go away. I don't really feel. It. It's not that bad. And then the body adapts and compensates for that problem, and then sometimes something else goes wrong. So we've got to just, like, take care of that. Make sure you're getting proper care. Okay, so... There's a, there's a, um, thing in Ayurveda called Udvarta. Udvarta means upward moving vata. It means that, that the, the energy, instead of going down, right, when you eat your food, it goes down into your stomach and down into your small intestine and down into your large intestine and down into the toilet, right? That's how it's the general direction of things going. Well, there's a thing in Ayurveda called Udvarta, which is everything's going up. It's the wrong way. And that causes problems. In fact, it's well-documented in Western medicine that that can cause problems. And there's a, an imbalance, they call it a hiatal hernia. Hiatal hernia is when the stomach pushes up against the diaphragm with such force and such pressure for such a long period of time, it actually herniates, pops through the diaphragm, and it herniates through it. So if you think about that for a second... For how long and how much pressure would there have needed to be for the stomach to push up against this big muscle, your diaphragm crosses covers your whole rib cage, and push on it so hard that the stomach actually herniates through this very strong muscle, the diaphragm, and the what's called the lower esophageal sphincter, that's supposed to keep that the esophagus goes through and supposed to keep the stomach out of there. But somehow the stomach pops through the lower esophageal sphincter. And and the question is, did that just happen like one day? The stomach just, the diaphragm just ripped, and the stomach popped through. Stomach's supposed to hang like gravity and off the diaphragm and go down. Everything's supposed to go down. So what's causing this upward moving pressure to put pressure on it that it would pop through the diaphragm and bring acid up into the esophagus, causing the reflux kind of situation? The 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 years before it actually herniates through, is my point, is the stomach gets pressed up against the, the diaphragm, and it can begin to adhere against the diaphragm. Um, moms who have babies, right? You have a big baby in there. You ever wonder where everything gets pushed? You know, like everything gets pushed up, down, and out. And the, and the stomach gets pushed way up against the diaphragm. So, you know, I, I wanted to write a book a long time ago called... You know, after my second baby, all hell broke loose in my body. Something like that. Because I can't tell you how many moms I've seen who said, after my first baby or after my second baby, I've never been the same. And usually it revolves around some type of digestive disorder. They start gaining weight. They start getting indigestion. Something goes wrong. And babies tend to put a lot of pressure up and the stomach gets pushed up against the diaphragm. There's other things that can do that too. But when it happens and the stomach gets adhered to the diaphragm, now the stomach is sort of stuck to the diaphragmatic wall, and it's supposed to contract and push the acid out into the small intestine and do all those wonderful things. But if it's stuck to the diaphragmatic wall, it's like if your body was stuck to the wall, you can only use one side of your body, how efficient would you be? If your stomach can only use part of its whole structure, how efficient can it be? Really not so efficient. And this begins the process of indigestion and in years before you get some diagnosis like a hiatal hernia you oftentimes get stomach adhesions pushed up against the diaphragm and even on the, on the left side on the right side your liver if you ever look at a picture let's just search like digestive organs on the web and you know look at google images and you'll see the stomach and the, and the diaphragm are right up against that stomach and, and uh, liver are right up against that diaphragm and they're right there so a little bit of pressure and you could cause all kinds of adhesions So I suggest using what I call the the, uh, tummy tenderness test. Um, I just made that up. And the test that you do is you take your thumb and you push underneath your rib cage right along where the diaphragm is on both sides. And you push in there pretty hard and you see if it's supple and juicy like a baby's belly or is it hard and tender or painful even. And if you feel any hardness or tenderness or painfulness in that area, you have what's called upward-moving vata. You have uh, upward-moving pressure of the stomach up against the diaphragm. and the beginning, and maybe even advanced levels of indigestion, that you may be dancing around by just not eating certain hard-to-digest foods, avoiding wheat and dairy, avoiding greasy fried foods, and just avoiding certain foods and thinking everything's okay, and saying those foods are bad and those foods are bad. Sort of this is a, a, a part of the premise of my book, Eat Wheat, which is all about... You know, that maybe wheat wasn't this poison that we thought it was. We've been eating it for four million years, actually. So maybe it's not this poison. Maybe our digestion broke down and we don't digest a lot of hard to digest foods as well. I get the whole hybridized process thing, I and mean, that's a whole other topic. But a bigger topic is the inability to digest well. And when the stomach intest the stomach lining is lined with mucous membranes and the whole intestinal tract is lined with mucous membranes and it's very much like the three little bears it can't be too dry can't be too wet can't be too hot can't be too cold got to be just right and if it's just right then good microbes proliferate and digestion is well on track but stress and situations where where uh the the pressure is being pushed up and the acid is going up instead of down it causes an alteration of the intestinal mucosa, an alteration of the microbiology, and that can damage the cells and cause irritation and of course indigestion kind of issues and of course heartburn, occasional heartburn being one of those, one of those conditions. So we definitely don't want to have this upward moving pressure. So the test for that is the tummy tenderness test and you squish in there And you want to make sure that there's no issues there. And if there are, I've done a couple of articles and videos called Stomach Pulling. And all you got to do is just go to Lifespot.com and type in Stomach Pulling in the website search bar. And some videos will come up teaching you how to do what's called Stomach Pulling. Basically, pulling the stomach back down because when it gets pressed up, it can cause adhesions and forms of indigestion. On the right side, you have your liver. You have these bile ducts, these pancreatic ducts. They're very, very small, easily congested. And when there's a lot of tension or ten- tenderness in there, uh, it can cause problems. And, and, and when you go to the right side, you have the gallbladder, right? And this is like, uh, everybody seems to have some type of gallbladder concern. And that is maybe the kingpin cause of forms of occasional heartburn that I want to talk about next. Before I do that, a quick little Rundown on the strategies for if you don't pass the tummy tenderness test. Okay. You take your thumb and you stick it underneath your rib cage and you put with the other thumb some downward pressure on it. And then when you put downward pressure, all you got to do from there is just breathe in and lean back in your chair, sort of arching yourself back as you're pulling your tummy down. So, right. So you stick your finger in there, kind of relax, push downward pressure, breathe in, arch your back. And go and find another area of tenderness, relax, breathe out, push your tummy down, breathe in. As you arch yourself back, pull down. So as you're arching yourself back and breathing in, you're pulling your tummy down. Really simple. Watch the video. Uh, Pretty phenomenal, simple therapy. You can do it right at your desk or on the couch or anywhere you like. I also am a big fan of using a massager, like a a back massager, You know the ones that have the handles and you just stick it right on your rib cage, uh, on the upper lower part of the rib cage and up underneath the rib cage where your tummy meets your diaphragm and vibrate the heck out of that whole area and your tummy turns red and it starts to itch and feels really itchy because all those limbs are beginning to move and really increase the circulation right around that area. It's powerful. I also like you know, putting a, like a styrofoam roller, those big, long styrofoam rollers, put it right on your back, across, like on your back, back here, right across, back here, and just lie there with your arms over and arch your back and lie there for two minutes as you do deep breathing. Bottom line is, we gotta open this up, you know, because most of us just sit hunched over, right hunched over, we drive hunched over. The whole, the whole rib cage and the spine is just being scrunched forward pushing the diaphragm and the liver and the stomach and the diaphragm and ribcage together. it needs to get opened up. And that's why my, one of my favorite exercises for that is the sun salutation or Surya Namaskar. If you ever looked at that, and I've written some really cool articles about the, how the sun salutation works, but it works in the exact same way. When you, when you start the process, you breathe in, well, arms up and back. As you're breathing in through your nose, the diaphragm is going down, right? But your ribcage is going up and back. So the diaphragm is being pulling everything down and you're going back and you're breaking any adhesions up in this area. Then the next posture is to flex forward, squishing the diaphragm and the stomach and liver and everything together, so all the blood is now rushing into this now sort of relaxed tissue. And then you go right again with an inhalation and stretch it out again into a lunging posture. And then you squish it together again with a flexion posture and then open it up again. The whole thing is completely fulcrumed right here where the rib cage meets the diaphragm, meets the stomach, and meets the liver. It's like a hole in one, it's the most important area of our body right here and it's so critical where the, where the rib cage meets the, the abdominal cavity and it's a very important place and very few people understand it or talk about it and this is what Ayurvedic talks about as upward moving vata and it has to be remedied, okay? So that's a really cool thing to know about, is the stomach pulling, the vibrator massager, usually two minutes of each of those for twice a day is a great way to get started, and then arching over like a styrofoam roller, and then the surya or the sun salutation. Three amazing ways to create structural elasticity in those tissues so we can reverse the cause of this process. Now, the next thing that I think is important is why... This happens in the first place so i 'm going to give you a little mini rundown of how this happens in sort of a, in a, for a lot of us we know that we process our stress through the intestinal tract right and the intestinal tract like The stomach lining can't be too dry, constipated, can't be too wet, loose, has to be just right for the microbes to proliferate. If you're under a lot of stress, all that stress gets pounded, pounds through your intestinal mucosa. We know 95% of your serotonin and other neurotransmitters are produced manufactured and stored inside your intestinal tract. Only 5% is in your brain, right? So we know that that, um, your gut is where we process all that stress. Now, many of us are very sensitive people, have a lot of radar, feel everything and particularly when you were a young kid it's so all you knew how to do was just be really super sensitive and and you know who am i going to eat lunch with do my friends really like me i mean this is like so much radar and so much feeling in the intestinal tract and the first thing that happens to it is just goes and binds right up and it can cause tummy aches it can cause constipation it can cause levels of indigestion and when that happens if you start seeing you know, a history of constipation or tummy aches and things like that, um, then some of those impurities can congest the lymphatics on the outside of your intestinal tract. And for kids, that's like sinus problems and earaches and colds and sore throats and asthma. It's all lymphy stuff, right? But as we get a little older, those toxins get moved back to your liver. And that's what I want to talk about today because, that's because you get not to too many little kids have heartburn. You ever wonder why? Because the first thing that happens in your intestinal tract, is it doesn't go to your liver and screw up your bile on your liver and your gallbladder. It goes into your lymph and makes you congested and, and boggy and, and mucousy, and kids make all this lymphy mucus for a living because, because it's the lymph system that gets congested first. And when that becomes a, a, a road jam, a roadblock for impurities to get through the intestinal skin into the lymphatics on the outside of your intestinal wall, of your immune system is those toxins default back to your liver. And the liver goes, whoa, wait a minute. I just dumped all those toxins into into the intestinal tract to be processed through the lymph and lymph nodes, white blood cells and all that good stuff. But uh, now it's all back to the liver because lymph got congested. So then everything goes to your liver and the bile in the liver becomes thicker and more viscous. And the bile, therefore, bile regulates how well you poop It regulates your stool consistency. So if you're constipated, it's a good chance that there's either very much dryness or dehydration in the intestinal tract, overly stress in the intestinal tract, or no bile. You with me? Okay. So those are the things you want to look at. And if there's no bile, then you're also not going to be able to handle breaking down fats, good ones and bad ones, and toxins. There's 400 billion pounds of toxins, all fat-soluble, by the way, being, I shouldn't say all fat-soluble, but most toxins are fat-soluble. So there are 400 billion pounds dumped in the American environment every year. So our liver and the bioflow has a lot of work to emulsify those bad fats and process them. But if the toxins are being dumped from your intestinal tract back to the liver, the liver goes, oh my God, I'm way too busy, I can't handle this, and it starts dumping those toxins back into the blood where it goes into your fat and into your brain and it starts to become stored, right? But along the way, the liver gets congested and the bile becomes thick. And when the bile becomes thick, it doesn't emulsify the good fats for energy, doesn't emulsify the bad fats for detoxification, and it doesn't buffer the acids, the acids that are coming from your stomach. If your stomach eats a a ham sandwich or something, right? There's gluten there, or cheese, let's say there's cheese on it. There's casein there. two very hard to digest proteins require a ridiculous amount of stomach acid. Now, if that acid is being produced in your stomach, the stomach says, okay, I got a ham sandwich with cheese on here, and I need this much bile to emulsify all this acid. And the bile isn't being made because your liver is congested and you haven't been pooping good and these kinds of things. So the stomach says, you know what I'll do? I don't know what's going on down there, but I'm going to wait. I'll hold on to everything in my tummy for a while, and I'll wait for the bile to kick in, right? So the stomach waits, and it waits, and it waits, and the longer it waits with every meal, because the bile is really sluggish, it's not really kicking in, all the acid stays in your stomach too long. It lingers in your stomach too long. It's a form of what's called gastroparesis, the beginning of upward-moving vata, udvarta. It's exactly what happens when we say gastroparesis. You're talking about upward-moving vata, Ayurveda calls it. And and this has been described as pushing everything up. And that causes reflux and these kinds of concerns. And that's why the stomach pulling is so critically important. But also, you got to ask the question, why is the food and the fat and the acid not leaving the stomach in an appropriate fashion, in a timely manner? And that's because oftentimes there's lack of good bile flow. And if there's lack of good bile flow, the acid will stay for a long period of time and cause you know, reflux-type acidic kinds of conditions, right? So, and then the stomach says, boy, I'm going to hold on to it. Soon it starts getting heartburn and reflux. It gets too acidic up there. Then the stomach says, you know what I'm going to do? This is crazy. I got acid brewing. My stomach lining's burning. So the stomach just says, I'm just going to turn off my stomach fire, right? And when I turn off my stomach fire, then I match the lack of bile flow from my liver. So if my liver, it got congested, didn't make the bile, my stomach acid dials down to sort of match the amount of bile I have. So now the whole stomach ability to digest, hard to digest stuff, just gets weaker and weaker and weaker. So now... If I just change my diet, don't eat wheat, don't eat dairy, don't eat greasy fried food, don't eat anything hard, I'm good to go and we're golden. So I just blame all these foods on my problems, right? They're all bad and I'm not going to eat them. And I can eat a healthier diet by eating more vegetarian and more plant-based and more things like that. I get it. It's true. But one minor problem. We didn't fix the problem. All we did was take the hard-to-digest foods out of the diet. And some of those hard-to-digest foods are really important. Like in the winter time, the digestive strength, certain enzymes like amylase are highly, highly more pr- produced in a, in a greater abundance in the winter to digest these harder to digest foods. So if you just have dialed down your digestive strength and only eat very light, easy to digest foods, when do you get the digestive strength to rebuild and store and strengthen and produce stamina? And you can't break down some of those hard to digest proteins and some of those fats you begin to become weaker. And and, and, this is the, and, then, and and as the digestive system continues to be placated, we find that I have to keep changing my diet to be a little lighter and a little lighter and a little lighter. So I go from not eating wheat and dairy to not eating red meat, to not eating chicken, to being a vegetarian, to being a vegan, to being a raw foodist. And I have no problems with any of those diets and I can make the case that they're all wonderful. My question is, why did you become a vegetarian? Why did you become a raw foodist? Was it only because of your 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 pure desire to eat lighter and, and not eat meat and things like that? I get it. But if you did it because you didn't digest the foods your mom and dad served you, you didn't digest certain foods very well, then and, and most of those foods I know are junk foods and they're terrible. I'm not saying eat those, but That's a sign that digestive strength weakened. And when it weakens, your ability to break down the 400 billion pounds of toxic chemicals in the environment, the mercury on the coal mine plumes that cover every organic vegetable that you can't wash off, you can't digest that. So where does that mercury go? If you can't eat wheat, dairy, and greasy fried food, well, not that you should, but if you can't, that's a sign that we haven't fixed the problem and you're now vulnerable and exposed to toxicity that's brewing in your fat, in your brain, and other places, which is not good. We can do better, right? And one of the symptoms of that is heartburn. The, the, the acid has been sort of distorted. And you either have too much because the stomach's holding onto it. Sort of an upward-moving vata, gastroparesis kind of a way. Too much acid can cause heartburn. Or the stomach said, you know what, she hadn't made any bile in years. I don't know what's going on down there. We're turning off the stomach fire. So the ability to digest wheat and dairy and hard to digest greasy food, you don't have it. So the stomach dials down the digestive fire. Now you have too little acid. So now, with too little acid, yikes, anything that you eat is gonna go right on through into your intestinal tract. Microbes, I mean, you don't even, we don't even like, get it. Like these microbes are everywhere, and what goes in your mouth, there's just like, you know, all kinds of microbes. And that stomach acid is your first line of defense against some bad, yucky stuff. And if that's been dialed down, then the stomach lining becomes very vulnerable to anything, irritated by anything, even the foods, because the stomach's supposed to emulsify all that. So you get another of irritation. Microbes like H. pylori proliferate in a low acid environment that's created by the stomach dialing down that strength. So we have all these altered alter, alterations of the microbiology in the stomach that can produce more acid and heartburn-related issues. So, so we have two types of. of uh, uh, heartburn let's say. One is too much, the thing that happens always is too much acid. So um, one of the things we do for that is we, we want to cool it down and strengthen it. There's a couple of herbs that I love, love, love for cooling down the stomach acid. One is an herb called amalaki. It cools the stomach and it's a lymphatic drain. You put all that t- that was really good for the brain. And, and, micro, and really great for the micro-lymphatic circulation of the brain. You take the bromine before you go to bed at night, which is when the lymphatic system drains your brain, three pounds of toxic plaque every year. You take that before you go to bed, and you get support of the lymphatic drainage of your brain, and that's why that's been used for so many years for sleep and for detoxification and to support optimal mental cognitive health. Um, so really neat herb, but in this case, super good for heartburn. Um, Amalaki, Brahmi. We have a formula called Cool Digest, which has Amalaki in it, as well as a formula in Ayurveda called, um, called Avipatakar, which has clove and other agents in it that is just phenomenal for, and really amazing that it can actually strengthen the digestion, but cool it down and protect it from irritation and inflammation as well. So that's a really cool thing. Other things you can do for too much acid, a little bit of baking soda, a quarter teaspoon in a, in a glass of water before the meal, and see if that doesn't cool it down. That's a great way to diagnose whether you have too much or too little acid. So that's another way to do it as well, a little bit of baking soda. When the stomach gets dialed down and it's too low and you're having acid, then you have to protect it, okay? So, um, and one of the herbs that I use to kind of reboot the digestive strength is an herb called gentle digest. And gentle digest um, has ginger and cumin and coriander and fennel and cardamom. And each of those individually have incredible digestive boosting benefit. But when you put them all together, and I've written articles about this, citing the science that shows that when you put them all together, it doesn't just like help digest your food for you. It actually strengthens your ability to make your own acid, to make your own bile, to make your own duodenal and pancreatic enzymes. So it really helps the stomach really make its own digestive you know, aids and then reset that function. and can get on, you can get better, and get off these digestive aids, where if you take a digestive enzyme, for example, which might help with your symptomatic relief, or hydrochloric acid, which might give you symptomatic relief, it's very difficult to get off of those because we're actually giving you the acid or giving you the enzymes. We're not triggering, helping your body do it itself. So huge difference between those two mindsets. One is a Ayurvedic, get the body to do the job itself, and one is sort of naturopathic, do the job for the body in a natural way, but still doing the job for the body. It's fine, but first, why don't we try to get you to do it, right, it just makes more sense to me to get that done, and usually that's not that big of a deal. Um, The stomach can get so irritated, the lining and the intestinal skin. So, for example, let's say your stomach acid has been low for a long time, and all kinds of foods and undigested things are going through, irritating your intestinal tract, ripping it to stretch, inflaming, irritating your intestinal lining. And that just becomes problematic. So what I like to do in that case is start from scratch. And this is good for both high or for low acid. We have a formula called the Slippery Elm Prebiotic Formula. And many of you have heard about it. It's one of my favorite formulas for starting from scratch and healing and repairing the intestinal skin. Because heartburn is not just about the stomach acid, because it is, but it's also about the quality, integrity of the entire the skin that lines your entire intestinal tract. And I've talked about the science that shows that, that, that longevity, aging process is linked to the breakdown of three primary tissues your, your skin of your intestinal tract, the lymph that lines your intestinal tract and the microbiology of your intestinal tract that depends on the skin and, the, and, the, and the, uh, the lymph around your intestinal tract. So, you know, very important to protect that intestinal skin. So you take this tea, it's a combination of chops, not ground, slippery elm, marshmallow root and licorice root. We take three tablespoons of the mixture and two quarts of water, soak it overnight Boil it down to a half a quart from two quarts in the morning. Strain it through a metal strainer. Now you have this thick, viscous, viscous tea, and you take tablespoon dosages throughout the day to coat and soothe your whole intestinal tract like 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 that pepto, like the, like the Pepto-Bismol commercial where the whole intestines become pink. And this is a prebiotic Ayurvedic slime that protects and coats your intestinal tract. Now, sometimes when people have things like SIBO and, and microbes from the large intestine and the small intestine and things that are wacky then what I oftentimes will do is add a formula called gut revival uh, which has probiotics like Saccharomyces boulardii and other probiotics that will knock down the populations of bugs that shouldn't be in the small intestine and has a series of colonizing probiotics that actually stick to the gut wall adhere to the gut wall and proliferate good microbiology and that is the gut revival and that will kind of do both for you so you can get on get rid of the bad guys and, and create a new population of good microbes and then you can get on these probiotics and then get off of them and uh, we have a I've written a whole article on four steps to rebuilding your microbiome and gut revival is the first step um, and then go from there um, and you can read more about that. But the goal, of, of course, is to get on these probiotics, get better, and then get off. So you don't have to take a, a probiotic for the rest of your life. And probiotics alone can help your heartburn too, but again, for the same reason. We're just pumping in bugs that should be there naturally. And why are they not there naturally? Possibly the, the, the bile is not there. Possibly the stomach acid is holding on for too long. Another strategy for this is um, water. Your stomach is lined by, by a buffer layer, which is 95% water. And if you're dehydrated, and for kids, one of the most common reasons why kids get tummy aches is because they don't drink enough water. So a study showed that if you take a big glass of water a half hour before the meal, it curbs your appetite, helps you lose weight, and helps strengthen the digestive process. So the stomach prehydrates the stomach, the water prehydrates your stomach lining, and um, and then the stomach goes, whoa, there's like buffers here. I can, uh, I can, make, uh, I can make a lot of acid and um, I, can, um, I can make a lot of acid and I can get um, all the digestion that I need to get done with. So if you prehydrate the stomach, the stomach has, has like, whoa, buffers, it could actually start to make the acid. The more acid that you make with a buffered lining of your stomach, the bile goes, hey, they're making acid up there. I better start making some bile, and it triggers that process. Okay, so now we have these bile ducts, and bile can get thicker and more viscous. And this really comes from you know we really think about what caused this crazy. You know, 60% of the American people have some form of heartburn. It's too many people, and you know we can track it back down to a diet of processed foods. We are the generation or generations of this 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 experiment of making foods and mass-producing foods and putting it on the shelf that will last for a very long time. Loaves of bread don't go bad. You know, things in the refrigerator don't go bad. These things don't go bad because they have preservatives in there, cooked oils in there that the bugs won't eat. And since inside your intestine tract, you're 90% microbe, and you put a loaf of bread on the counter and it doesn't go bad for, you know, a week or two or three or four, and if you take a regular loaf of bread that's made in the traditional way that takes three days to make and break and, and bake, you know, that bread is hard in a day and you can knock somebody out with it in two days. That's bread. That's what bread is. That's fresh bread. And that's a hugely different species than what we have in the grocery stores. And those are processed foods. So the processed foods, if you look at the label of your potato chips or your breads or your crackers or your any kind of baked good, you're going to see cooked oils in them, and those are toxic and rancid. It's like not cleaning your stove for 10, 20, 30 years of these undigestible oils, and they congest your liver, they congest your bile, they congest your bile ducts and make everything very thick and viscous. And as a result, we start not eating some of those heavy, greasy fried foods because we don't feel good when we do eat them, and as a result of that, um, we start going on a lower-fat diet and the lower fat diets don't exercise the gallbladder so it's sort of placating the symptoms but making the cause worse and there's a big trend now to eat more fats and lots more fats and fish oils and salmon and you know some people say 70% of our diet should be fat you know if you if you really listen to the paleo experts the the uh, the anthropologists who really have studied the paleo diet you'll find that they didn't eat Large amounts of fat they did and they killed an animal ate everything and they had a big dose of fat that day But then it was sort of back to tubers and greens and grains and grasses and whatever they could find It wasn't like they ate meat three times a day It just didn't happen And if you really read the experts who really studied the paleo people There's nothing very paleo about the paleo diet that we have Um, so but we did definitely have meat. It was definitely something that we we did, and and perhaps helped us evolve, and maybe even tripled our brain size. Some people think. So it's nothing against meat. It's just the amount and the lack of other foods. So it's not just meat and vegetables. So the the point is is that that, um, that the 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 diet should be very diverse. It should be seasonal. It should change with the seasons. The uh, The diet should be, um, uh, the microbes in the soil change from one season to the next to the next. We should allow those microbes to change in the soils, eat those foods from those soils to change our microbiome. So we get more fatty foods in the winter to really stimulate gallbladder flow and bile flow to keep that really working very, very alive. We get leafy greens in the spring to cleanse and detoxify the berries to get the lymph to move in the spring and fruits and vegetables in the summer. Nature had a plan that was very effortless and very, very effective for keeping us healthy. But when you eat all these processed foods, it congests our liver, congests the bile ducts, Congest the pancreatic duct, so your digestive enzymes can't flow your bile can't flow So you take digestive enzymes you feel better you go, oh, I must be lacking digestive enzymes The doctor says that you don't make them anymore because you're 50 or 60 So therefore you need to take enzymes for the rest of your life. I don't buy that I absolutely don't buy that. I've never seen anybody in my practice after 30 years who was desperately in need of permanent digestive enzymes ever and I treat digestion all day long So I don't think that's reality. I think that's just not digging deep enough into the cause of the problem and really fixing the cause. And the same thing with bile. We can increase bile flow, but if you go to a diet that's just all this fat on top of a liver and a gallbladder that's sort of congested, that can be problematic too. So it's sort of a graceful transition to go into fats by first getting rid of the, the processed foods, the poor carbohydrates, and then beginning to add some of the fats to the diet. Uh, gently and slowly and I've written about some of the strategies of how to how to actually do that, which is uh, very very important as well um, Okay, so um, uh, That is a good rundown of that the other thing that I would I would say that's important uh, Oh, Let me talk about some of the ways to make sure your bile is moving some of the good ways to do that one of those is um, with foods Beets, as you all know, one of my favorite foods for increasing bioflow. It vasodilates the bile ducts and has really good, healthy nitrates that open and expand circulation, so it's really good for a lymph as well. Super cool food. Artichokes are really good. Celery is really good. Beets are really good. All the greens are really good. Uh, radishes are really good for your lymphatic flow. And anything that makes your skin turn red like a dye, like berries or cherries or pomegranates or cranberries, any of those foods whatever, these parenthocytins, natural antioxidants, they all move through lymphatic flow, Um, uh, move through the uh, the lymphatic system, but they're all really good natural bile movers as well. Um, A little bit of bringing a little bit more good quality fats into your diet, like ghee, organic grass-fed ghee, has 500 times the uh, CLA, the conjugated linoleic acid in it, versus regular grain-fed um, ghee, which is, uh, and the, the CLA is just specifically effective for helping the body stay in fat metabolism. And that's what we want, we want stable fat-burning fuel, and the ghee does that. And fat-burning means more bile is gonna be involved to help break those fats down and burn those fats. Um, coconut oil, another one, doesn't require as much bile flow, but it delivers those ketones as energy into the brain, into the tissue, so it gives you an alternative supply of fuel. And sugar may be the worst thing that we can do for our liver and our gallbladder because the type 2 diabetes, pre-diabetes, is more of a liver condition than a pancreatic condition. Diabetes is when the pancreas stops making insulin. But way before that happens in adult-onset diabetes, the liver becomes congested for these reasons that I mentioned. It can't... uh, regulate the sugars as well as it could, and in the morning it overshoots the runway with sugar into the bloodstream, and that creates real problems. So, um, so that's really important. And that's why exercise is such an important piece of the health puzzle, because good quality exercise forces the sugars into the big muscles, and then gets it out of your bloodstream to safely you know, get it to move. And we have you know, genetics that require movement. And if we are sedentary and sitting in front of a desk all day long, we gotta find time to get out there and exercise. Even if you just do my 12 minute workout, which is 12 minutes, but you know, with, with little fast twitch muscle fiber sprints, you can do, you can raise two to fish cans up and down over your head for, for a minute four times uh, during this workout. And search that up and, and watch that video. It's a great video about how to get really good exercise in just 12 minutes a day. Very, very effective, but you gotta move your body to get this whole thing working. Okay, um, the other thing I didn't mention that works oftentimes very well for, for uh, heartburn related issues is apple cider vinegar. It can work very definitely for low acid conditions and it can even work for high acid conditions as well. So, definitely one of the things to try to reboot that. A tablespoon and a glass of water, drink that uh, before the meal or, or with the meal even to see if you can mitigate the heartburn. Sometimes taking uh, to help that gallbladder, because I remember the gallbladder is the kingpin of this. Uh, one teaspoon to two teaspoons of a little bit of lemon juice to one, teaspoon, one tablespoon to two tablespoons of a good quality olive oil. Mix it together and take it before you go to bed at night. That will increase bile flow while you're sleeping. And morning hopefully give you a better bowel movement, but it sort of exercises the gallbladder uh, away from meal times. And that can you do that usually just for a month to exercise that as well herbs for the gallbladder. We have a formula called beet cleanse, which has beets and fenugreek and cinnamon to kind of, and and it to rotor root out the bile ducts and clean them out because the bile becomes thicker and more viscous, thus the vibrator or the stomach pulling, really good for that. But the beet cleanse is a phenomenal formula before meals to kind of clean out the bile ducts. Liver repair, another classic bitter root Ayurvedic formula to increase bile flow and to help increase the the productivity of the bile and to decongest the liver as well. So, liver repair, be cleanse for the bile and the liver, uh, gentle digest to help reboot the digestion when its acid is really low, uh, cool digest, amalaki, um, really good for high acid conditions. The stomach, uh, the slippery elm tea to cool and soothe everything along the way uh, are some really good strategies. And of course, the stomach pulling uh, is a great way to do it. And then, you know, like I said about diet, you know, some people get heartburn from green peppers, and some people can eat green peppers. Some people can get it, get it from greasy fried food, and some people get it from spicy food. Some people don't get it from spicy food. They only get it from milk. So it's just very individualized, but, again, rule number one, get rid of the processed foods, okay? Try to begin to eat in season so you're getting the right bugs at the right time so you digest more efficiently, and then individually take out the foods that are more that you're more sensitive to. And you can look at your body type as well and take my body type questionnaire and see if you're more pitta, then you can look at the pitta-reducing or heat-reducing foods. They'll probably gonna serve you well. You're, you could have a vata-related issue if you're more nervous and stressed, then there'll be foods that are, that are heavier to digest for the vata type, and you can look at those foods as well. So you can, you can tailor make this based on your body type as well. So take the body type questionnaire, and we give you a list of foods when you click, you know you know, when it figures out your type. They give you a list of information about what foods are good, what foods are bad. So check that out as well. Okay, I think that's it for me. I want to um, get into some questions real quick. Uh, if anybody has a question, you can press star 2, raise your hand, and then I'm going to uh, see if anybody has any questions here. Um, and I'll dig in here for a second. Okay, first question. Um, uh, I have... Uh, uh, for, uh, laryngopharyngeal uh, pharyngeal reflux. Okay, so basically it says reflux going up into, into the larynx, which is pretty high. Uh, do I need to do anything different this time with GERD, or is the treatment the same? I don't have heartburn, but the sore throat and coughing are the main symptoms. You know, so It's sort of weird how sometimes that acid can get up there and it doesn't really make a difference. And I had one lady who, did, who felt the burning in her nose and her eyes and didn't feel it in her throat or anywhere. So it's sort of individual how it can happen. And that's where that slippery LMT formula is so cool because it just coats the whole entire thing in a real protective way. So yes, the treatment is the same. So it's a great question. Is there a way to close the lower esophageal sphincter so the digestive juices do not go into the esophagus? Well, that's exactly why I'm all about using that vibrator and doing the stomach pulling because those tissues, when you have the stomach stuck to that diaphragm, it's just... It's just hard and irritating. See what happens is that when the stomach muscles or the abdominal muscles, well, let me say it this way, if the stomach, which is a muscle, and the diaphragm, which is a muscle, become tight or stuck together, they can't contract and get their blood in or get their waist out. And if a muscle can't get its blood in and get its waist out, it starts to lay down tissue that doesn't require blood, which is called scar tissue. You don't water your lawn, you get crabgrass. It's green, but it's tough not elastic grass. Same thing happens in your muscles. The tissues become sclerotic or fibrotic and they become stiff and rigid. But that stiff and rigid fibrous tissue can be broken down and reabsorbed back into the bloodstream and you can lay down good muscle elastic tissue once again. And that's where good old fashioned massage comes in in that area. But nobody thinks to massage this area, but it's time to think about that because it's really effective and sometimes so simple it costs you nothing but very, very effective. Um so I hope that answers that question. Uh, Do you have any suggestions or remedies uh, for bile reflux rather than acid reflux? Yeah, I had some um, some bile backwash into my stomach after gallbladder surgery. it's gotten much worse and caused extreme pain, nice sweat dizziness, rawness in my throat. so same thing right if that if that, the stomach has a, has a sphincter in it as well called the pyloric sphincter, and if that isn't really working well bile can regurgitate back into the stomach and cause an alkaline burn on the stomach lining and even go into the esophagus and cause another level of alkaline burn. And that that bile can even work its way back through the pancreas and back into uh, the pancreas, through the pancreatic duct, into the pancreas and cause issues like pancreatitis and things like that. And even some researchers believe that that might even be one of the causes of diabetes is when the actual stomach or that pancreas stops making insulin because it was burned by bile, the the delicate beta cells in the pancreas. So really a good question. So how do you do that? For sure, on the right side. You got tenderness over there, my tummy tender test, get in there, massage that as best you can because this is a mechanical thing. The herbs like the beet cleanse and liver repair, those are critical as well. You know, the gentle digest would be the herb of choice for that, like I would say, gentle digest, liver repair, beet cleanse, those three herbs to help bring that bile reflux back into balance and then do the stomach pulling, the lying over the roller, the sun salutation exercise, and the vibrator uh, to really get that back into balance. And you'd be surprised how, how quickly this body can recover. It's pretty cool. Um, uh, what causes valves to weaken? and What can be done to correct this? I have a problem with my ileocecal valve, the valve between the gallbladder and the stomach, and the valve that keeps the bile from moving to my esophagus. Sort of the same question. The ileocecal valve. I wrote an article in one of my Sibo um, articles about something like called the old mm, technique rediscovered, and it's all about how to work and massage your ileocecal valve, and it's a, and how you can massage that. Same rules apply. These are muscles, and they get like crabgrass in them, right? And you got to work them, and we don't. We just eat, and you know, we don't really get in there and massage all this, and. And, uh, and that's why regular exercise is so good. But you know, some of us have gotten a little yucky in there, and getting some real good massage on some of those sphincters in the stomach and in the, in, the, in the lower esophageal sphincter and the I C valve—they're really valuable to do some mechanical work. Or if you don't like doing it yourself, there's many people out there who do visceral massage, and you can have that done as well. Uh, pretty cool. Um, uh, I sit safe. Uh, I sit safe to have baking soda and lemon juice every day. Uh, one to two teaspoons for heartburn, but also maintaining my pH levels. Thanks, I love your podcast. All the wealth of information. You know, taking baking soda and a little bit of lemon is great, but I don't. those aren't the ones that are going to turn the digestion on, so you're now digesting. We're just sort of propping it up with these agents, and I would rather get you to not have to take anything to digest. And that's what we're trying to talk about today with some of these herbal formulas and strategies of stomach-pulling to really get the function back so you're not happy to take a pill or a powder for the rest of your life. But thank you for that. Um, any suggestions for those with genetic conditions like, um, like MT, MTHFR, which is a, 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 a methylation uh, genetic defect? Most of the people with, with uh, genetic methylation de- issues... I think one study was like 70 percent. Another one, maybe a little, bit, a little bit less, can be mitigated with lifestyle. So the idea that I have this MTHFR mutation, it means I'm stunned and i I have this big major issue. You know, so much research is now saying lifestyle, diet, behavior, de-stressing can change epigenetically some of those expressions. Vitamin D, meditation, all these things that I've talked about. It's really good science, and I'm in the middle of writing a pretty comprehensive article on uh, the MTHFR, but I haven't gotten quite through it yet. But uh, but that's where it's going is all about the the because the, you can't do anything about the mutation, but you can protect it. Vitamin D protects those mutations, and um, uh, lifestyle and meditation things like that to protect can make can really help you go a long way. And then just fixing the things we just talked about today. Get those digestive orders back online. A lot of times it's not. We just get, you know, that's why I'm not a big fan of, personally, of genetic testing. Because I don't feel like we know enough. And sometimes it's like, oh, you've got the MTHFR mutation. You can't digest your methylate or detoxify. And it's not true. The science doesn't support that at all. But, you know, when someone tells you that from a genetic test, you think, okay, I'm done, you know. And I don't think that's good enough. I think the body can heal. The body's intelligent. It's evolved to have some of these these genetic, you know, um, predispositions for a reason. And it's not always bad. It's just that we don't know enough to understand it completely. And I think that's why I think it's premature to make a, a, uh, a complete, you know, hardcore diagnosis or decision or, or conclusion about that. Um, but great question. Um, so any questions on the phone, um, Uh, Anybody press star two, if anybody has any questions. Um, Yeah, in Santa Rosa, are you there? Yes, hi. Hi. I'm just wondering, um, the recommendations that you gave for bile reflux, would that be the same recommendation if the gallbladder has been removed? That's a great question. I've written an article um, about you know, what to do for gallbladder removal, because this question comes up a ton. Just so you know that that's out there and you can read about it. And, um, and the answer is yes. You still make bile in your liver on demand. Um, you don't have the storage of the bile, but you know, unless you're going to eat the brains of a woolly mammoth, you probably don't really need it, so it's no real big deal. Okay. Our diet has changed significantly from the times when we needed a gallbladder to have 15 times concentrated bile in there for the kind of fats that we just don't need. Partly why we partly why we have so many issues. Bigger part is the processed food. And not to say that you know we've evolved away from a gallbladder, but we our diet has has definitely created gallbladder congestion. And um, and I do think that that ultimately getting a healthier amount of fats in our diet. Not every single day. You know, the idea was like you would eat a whole bunch of fat one day and then nothing for a couple of days. And then the gallbladder has time to rep- restore its bile. You see, it takes a couple of days for the body to re- replenish its bile after eating the brains and the intestines of a woolly mammoth, right? It takes a little while to do that. But but when you have a gallbladder taken out, then, you just think, you, then you're just thinking, okay, I'm not going to do the, the feast or famine on some animal intestines any longer, right? I'm going to... small amounts throughout the day and have a steady flow of bile and you can really mitigate quite well without it without the gallbladder. Now making sure that you've solved the problem lots of folks when they get their gallbladder taken out they feel better. Lots of folks when they get their gallbladder taken out they don't feel better they actually the problems don't go away which means that the problem was not in the gallbladder although partially there but there was more liver congestion and bile flow issues in the manufacturing and delivery from the liver to the small intestine, and those tubes are probably blocked or congested, and that's where things like the liver repair and the bead cleanse will go in there and increase bile flow and rotor root those ducts. So it sort of depends on what the symptoms are. But um, generally speaking, yes, the same rules apply. We always just start out with a little bit smaller dose, and definitely when you're eating the fats, start out with a little bit of a smaller amount because um, because it can sometimes, you know, you just want to test the water and see just how robust that, that production of bile and delivery of that bile is. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, and would those things help with, like, the bile reflux in the middle of the night? Yeah, well, do you know, inter- yeah, interesting thing I- is that the the gallbladder becomes active at nighttime the liver becomes active at nighttime so it's very common for gallbladder issues to happen at nighttime and if you have reflux at night that's definitely a gallbladder issue if you have reflux two hours after a meal you're really probably looking at a gallbladder bile flow related issue so that means get in there and let's work that bile with all the bile flow foods with the bile flow herbs with the massage in that area you know in the herbs we talked about they get them in the oils we talked about as well our cleanses like the ghee cleanse or the short home cleanse with the ghee or the color cleanse I mean they're you know completely targeted at increasing bile flow when you take ghee a little bit more every day every day every day increasing bile flow contractions you know um, the whole thing is designed for better bile flow and therefore better fat metabolism and better fatty toxin detect de- detoxification so so those are also good strategies as well great thank you oh you're very welcome thank you um so i'm going to just check the questions again if anybody else has any more questions um let's see here oops all right so I think, we're, I think we're done. We've wrapped it up. I hope you guys have uh, enjoyed the, um, the seminar. If you have any other questions about this, it looks like I answered everybody's questions for the most part. If you have any questions, you can always email me at, at uh, john at lifespot.com. And please uh, don't forget to stay tuned. Next month that we have our next podcast, which is all about smiling, the prescription of smiling when I, inter- when I interview uh, Dr. Rich Castleman, who's just a great, uh, Castellano, who's just a great uh, medical doctor, who's done some amazing research on the benefits of smiling. So stay tuned for that and have a good month and a great summer. We'll talk soon.